Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word comes to us this evening from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garment rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your, your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Can we start this evening by just agreeing that I'm always right and you're always just going to do whatever I tell you? Wouldn't that make things simpler, easier? We found out that uh, that's not the case, right? I actually messed up the hymn on purpose just to make a point, right? No, I didn't really. We sometimes try to find peace in this way, though, don't we? It doesn't work, but we still try. We try to find peace through control. If I can simply control everyone and everything, and if everyone would just do everything my way, then everything would be great, everything would be fine. This happens especially around the holidays. I can remember my older sister uh, trying to get us all in the car to go take a picture. We were going to surprise my parents. It was their Christmas present. So my parents weren't there. My older sister trying to get nine kids that didn't really want to listen to her into the car in front of the photographer. It was chaos, to say the least. We have lots of excuses as to why. If people would just do things my way, it would work out better, right? After all, I'm right. Um... I know best. I'm the one in authority. My sister would have said, I'm the eldest, so you should listen to me. She's probably right. Didn't mean I did. We even sometimes try to call on God to back us up. We're going to hear later on in the sermon about somebody who did exactly this. Somebody who wanted Jesus to back them up and tell everyone why they should be doing things their way. So we try, and find, we try and find peace through control, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we don't have the power or the authority or the wisdom to control everything or to even know what's right. We started uh, two weeks ago with the, the point of the star, and it's a reminder to us how God and man come together in the person of Jesus Christ to give us peace. We moved down to the arms last week reminding us how God's peace does not divide us 
sending, creating distance between us, but rather brings us together and unites us in Christ. And that peace isn't found through distance, but through that perfect unity that we have in Christ. Tonight we're moving all the way down to those bottom two points upon which the star rests, which holds the, the star of peace way down there. I was thinking about hanging the star for the Christmas Eve program, but I figured most of us would spend the whole Christmas Eve program worried that it would fall on the children. So probably better to leave it solidly on the points that can hold it easily. Similarly, our text reminds us this evening that our peace doesn't rest on us. Our peace doesn't come from being in control and from proving that we're right. Rather, our peace rests on Jesus. Our text reminds us that he is our Prince of Peace, and upon his shoulders the government rests. Our peace and joy at Christmas do not rest on us. We often feel like if we could just do everything right, we'll have a joyful holiday, a peaceful Christmas. But if we mess up, like for example, we forget Kevin and leave him at home, then we could ruin it, right? But our peace doesn't come from our ability to do everything right. That's a burden that we can't bear, but one that Jesus can and does bear for us. Our text continues with a, a description that reminds us why our peace rests on Jesus, why he is our Prince of Peace. Because he is, to begin with, the wonderful counselor. In movies, it always works out in an hour and a half that somebody, usually the hero, says the right thing at the right moment. It might take them most of the movie to figure it out, but eventually they say the right thing at the right moment and it resolves all the conflict and everyone has a happy ending. And so we sometimes approach life with that idea that if we can just say the right thing, just find the right words, we can create peace, we can create comfort. But life doesn't work that way. And one of the reasons is because we can't back up the things we say. We might be tempted to tell somebody, it will get better, or it'll be okay, or you'll find love again. Especially to a teenage girl who's had her heart broken, right? You'll find love again. But the problem is we can't back up those promises. We don't have either the power or the authority, and we're not always going to be there. Jesus is the wonderful counselor because he can back up his promises. Because the things that he says do come to pass. Our peace rests, therefore, on him, not on us. And the promises that he says, the words that he gives to us, are not always what we expect. Sometimes God's word is rather blunt and to the point. You're sinners. That was a terrible thing you did. But he always comes along with that but, doesn't he? But I died for your sins. But you're going to have it. The Apostle Paul is pretty frank in his letter to the Philippians. The Philippians is called the letter of joy, and it is but it doesn't gloss over the troubles of this world. Instead, it acknowledges them and then reassures us not with the, the empty words of man, but with those promises of God 
that we know come to pass. That's why our peace rests on Jesus, because he's the one who can back up his promises. Isaiah continues and calls him the mighty God. Our peace rests on him because he's the one who is strong enough to hold it. I could lift up this star pretty easily. I'm not even breaking a sweat there, right? But to hold the things that give us peace, to hold the world, to hold the, the troubles of this world, that's not something we're strong enough to do. Jesus is the mighty God, the strong one. But he doesn't use that might for his own power or his own glory or his own selfish means, does he? But he uses that strength to give us aid. There's a beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Oh, sorry, verse 16. I'm really off tonight. Hebrews two, chapter 2, verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. God doesn't come to help and to aid angels in their struggles and their tribulation, but the pastor reminds us he does promise with his might to come and help us. And that's why our peace rests on his strength. Most of us probably remember learning in school the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy. Whereas that might seem like maybe a modern idea, it's actually a very old one. The Hebrew actually has words that mean uh, kinetic strength versus potential strength. And the one that's used here is that kinetic strength. They wouldn't have used the word kinetic. But the strength that is active, that is doing something, that's what uh, he's talking about here when he says mighty God. The one who is using his might, his strength, to aid his people. The prophet Hanan, Han, Hanan, Hanan, Hananai. It's not one we. <laughs> sorry, uh, it's not a not a prophet we hear about very often. But uh, the prophet Hananai spoke to King Asa and reminded him in Second Chronicles sixteen nine. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Jesus is the mighty God who is looking for an opportunity to show his strength, to use his strength, to give us aid. That's why our peace rests on his strength and not on us. Thirdly, he calls him the everlasting father. Fathers make lots of foolish promises. We do it because we love our kids and we want them to feel safe and to feel reassured. But even while we're saying them, we know that we can't 100% back them up, right? I'll always be there for you. I'll make sure you're never hurt. I'll keep you safe. We wish we could fulfill those promises, but we can't. We don't have the control. They're not within our control. And, and even those things that are within our control to do, sooner or later, we're not going to be there for our children because we're only human. The uh, movie Finding Nemo was all about that, wasn't it? It was all about a father who wanted to give his son peace and safety through control but had to learn that he, he couldn't. But Jesus is our everlasting father. Both his promises and his presence are everlasting. Both his promises and his presence are always there. He told his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
And so our peace can rest on him. A father who can honestly make those promises and fulfill them, and does. There's one really important scene in Finding Nemo where Marlin, Nemo's father, and Dory are hanging on to a whale's tongue. And Dory says, let go. And Marlin says, how do you know it's going to be okay? And Dory says, I don't. The world has to learn to let go without any reassurance and without any promises, but we have something better, don't we? We have the, the promise of our everlasting Father. Lo, I am with you always. He is with us always. His presence and his promises are everlasting. They never fail us. The world has no reason to believe that it's going to be okay. We have every reason. It may not be okay tempor temporally. We may go through trouble in this life, but we know what the end is. The kingdom and the house and the everlasting life that is waiting for us. Our peace rests on him because his promises and his presence are everlasting. He is our prince of peace. We should probably move on from Pixar films to an actual Bible story. My reference early in the sermon, we were going to get to this. I don't know if, you, if any of you guessed what story I was talking about, but it's the story of Mary and Martha. And you remember how Martha tried to find peace through control. Got to get everything done. Got to get everything prepared. Mary instead chose to find peace, search for peace at the foot of Jesus. And Martha even appealed to Jesus. Back me up here, Jesus. Tell Martha she should be helping me out. Sorry, tell Mary she should be helping me out. I'm right. Do things my way. And Jesus said, no. Mary has chosen the better thing. We can't find peace through control. We can't find peace through our strength. Our peace rests on Jesus. It comes from staying at his feet, not from making sure everything is perfect. Amen.